Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. We all want to raise kind kids, but it's not always straightforward. Firstly, you have to consider where kids are developmentally and whether they're capable of kind acts like sharing or empathy. And then you have family life where teaching lessons about kindness can get lost amongst the struggle to keep small humans fed, watered and nurtured. Hugh McKay is a social psychologist and the author of The Kindness Revolution. He believes that kindness is an innate part of being human. Hi, Hugh. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Siobhan. Lovely to join you. Why do you think kindness is part of being human? What's your evidence for that? Well, it's the evidence of neuroscience. I mean, in the past, psychologists and philosophers have just had to speculate about what goes on in the human mind. But these days, of course, neuroscientists can actually peep into the brain and see what's going on. And they report, which should come as a shock to no one, they report that there is an identifiable cooperative centre in the human brain. In other words, because we are a social species, like many other species on the planet, um, but because we're a social species, part of our genetic inheritance is our capacity to cooperate, which means, of course, that part of our genetic inheritance is the equipment we need to cooperate, which is why... I think you can argue strongly that our capacity for kindness is absolutely innate and is perhaps, I think, the most precious asset that we humans possess, even though we don't always value it highly and we don't always nurture it. It's a bit like the language centre in the brain. We all are built uh, with the capacity for language, but we have to learn how to speak our native tongue and other languages and so on. Uh, And it's like that with our innate capacity for kindness. It's there in all of us and it needs to be nurtured, particularly when children are young. It needs to be nurtured and encouraged and developed so that we can be fully flourishing humans, which means people who make a positive contribution to social harmony because social harmony is the key to survival. For humans, we need families, neighbourhoods, groups, communities of all kinds to nurture us and sustain us and give us that all-important sense of belonging that is so fundamental to the mental and emotional health of a human being. So uh, it's not a secret. Kindness, compassion, mutual respect, tolerance, all of these things which are expressions of our cooperative nature are the pathway to social harmony and therefore the pathway to human flourishing. I'm going to sound like a cynic here, so please forgive me because I do have great respect for and believe in the value of kindness. I think it's something that is often undervalued. Um, And I feel like kindness is undervalued because over a period of decades, it seems, we've become much more focused on the individual and we celebrate the individual, we celebrate the ability for people to express what they feel regardless of 
who it impacts because they're my feelings and I have a right to my feelings. And all of these things kind of stem from this idea that it's survival of the fittest. And I'm wondering if this idea of kindness being a kind of a genetic inheritance from way back when we were roving in packs and needed each other to survive, have we lost that understanding of the strength of kindness? Because you talk to someone today and if if someone's kind, they're almost equated with someone who's weak. Yes, yes. Well, let me address that immediately. I think of kindness very much as a strength. Um, It's got nothing to do with being soft in the head. I mean, we can be... Uh, we can express a strongly differing opinions kindly. We can discipline a child kindly. We can terminate a relationship kindly. Um, it's got nothing to do with a weakness. It, it hasn't even got anything to do with affection. I mean, as Samuel Johnson wrote about 250 years ago that kindness is in our power even when fondness is not. And, and that's a wonderful thing about our species, that we are capable of showing kindness to people we don't like, people we could never agree with, but people we don't even know. But to come back to your your um, cynical observation, Siobhan, which uh, is actually a very accurate observation. I mean, obviously, we all have the capacity for kindness, and kindness is fundamental to human flourishing, but we also have egos uh, which rise up and sometimes stifle our tendency for kindness. We can become absolutely the slave to unbridled ambition. We can become highly competitive. We can become highly acquisitive and materialistic in ways that are all about me. Now, the point that you make about uh, in the current climate, the stage that our culture has reached, pre-pandemic, I think it's important to acknowledge that over the previous probably 30 or 40 years, not just in Australia, but in Western societies that we would normally compare ourselves with, there has been, as you suggest, there has been a very significant trend in the opposite direction. If you look at the sort of social trends that have been reshaping our society in the last quarter to half century, Things like our shrinking households, our high rate of relationship breakdown, our falling birth rate, our excessive busyness, our increased mobility, our enthusiastic embrace of information technology, often at the expense of face-to-face contact. Now, without developing any of those themes at all, but just listing them, if you think of the cumulative effect of social trends like those, the cumulative effect is to make us more individualistic. As as, as sociologists and social psychologists say, we have become more socially fragmented. Uh, We've had a, a stronger sense of ourselves as independent, unique, special, with this particular identity, rather than the deeper sense of ourselves that we're in danger of losing, of being all connected by a kind of shimmering, vibrating web of interdependency and interconnectedness due to the common humanity that we all share. Now, those trends have certainly led to a period in Western civilization, including Australia, of rampant 
individualism, where our sense of identity has become almost an obsession, where we're concerned about where we are on the gender spectrum or our ethnicity or our religion or our cultural preferences or whatever it might be. All of this is about me and how I'm special and how I'm different. It's had its full flowering in identity politics, really. Uh, that That's the end point of obsession with difference. And by the way, I'm not denying the importance of identity. We all need a sense of personal identity. And of course, it's important to us. And, and that's what reminds us that, that we're a richly diverse, eclectic mob, us humans. That, that's all true. Um, but if we become obsessed with our personal identity to the point where it overwhelms our sense of connectedness, our sense of our common humanity, then we reach a very interesting and highly predictable point in our social evolution, which is precisely the point we reached uh, by these, these early years of the 21st century, where because we're a social species and because we've become more socially fragmented with more social isolation, less social cohesion, more emphasis on the individual, we are gripped by the three epidemics that always grip a society that becomes more fragmented, namely the epidemic of loneliness. Pre-pandemic, 25% of Australians were reporting feeling lonely for most of every week. Uh, the epidemic of anxiety, Again, pre-pandemic, about 2 million Australians were being diagnosed each year with an anxiety disorder. And our epidemic of depression, again, about 2 million a year being diagnosed with depression. So if you become a more fragmented, less socially cohesive kind of society with great emphasis on, in, on our individuality, we will inevitably suffer what social creatures always suffer when they become more fragmented. Uh, that is feelings of loneliness, feelings of anxiety, feelings of depression, uh, which points to an urgent need to rethink the impact of these trends on us. We're not going to stop the trends, but maybe the pandemic has done us a favour. Maybe this has been a kind of circuit breaker that's caused us not only to have a bit more time to reflect on what's happening to our lives, but has also put us in a situation where we have to remember what humans always remember in a crisis, in a catastrophe, whether it's floods or fires or wars or pandemics. What do we do? We reach out for each other. We have a clear sense that we are all one, that we do need each other. We're prepared to make sacrifices for the common good. We're prepared. Uh, to be kinder, more compassionate, more mutually respectful. And we've seen that happening all over Australia uh, during these 18 months, roughly, of pandemic so far. But that's what you always see in a human society. And the big question, Siobhan, which comes right back to the root of the question you asked me, the big question is, will the pandemic have taught us these lessons powerfully enough that we'll actually internalize them, take them on board and apply them 
beyond the pandemic? Will we remember how proud we were of ourselves when we did pull together, when we did make these sacrifices for each other, when we did reach out to people in the neighbourhood who might have been at risk of social isolation or who needed a bit of help and support and so on, who we perhaps previously ignored. Are we going to remember those lessons or are we perhaps rather pathetically going to slip back into the way we were more fragmented, more isolated, more competitive, more individualistic? And I I guess that's not the kind of future anyone wants for their kids. And I think when parents think of their kids and wanting their kids to be kind, that it's about them getting on in the world and making friends and, and just being decent people. But hearing all those advantages you mentioned there about connection and community and thriving as a whole, there's even more impetus there now to raise kind children. And I'm just wondering if you've got any ideas on how we raise kind kids? Is it about role modelling? Are we meant to be teaching them how to do it? Because as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, children have different capacities to be kind um, from when they're very little to as they get older and they develop more. So I'm just wondering if you've got any ideas on that front. Yes, well, you've mentioned um, what I think are the two biggest things that as parents or grandparents or even as neighbours of uh, families with kids, we need to remember. The first is role modelling. There is no doubt that we are all shaped more powerfully by the example of our parents in our formative years than by any other influence, including the peer group, the, the classroom, everything else. All those things influence us as well. But those early formative years when we learn how to be humans from watching how our parents act. We don't just learn how to be mothers and fathers, but we learn how to be human Uh, from that example. We learn how to talk. We, We learn how to show respect. We learn how to act kindly. We learn how to listen. We learn how to apologize. We learn how to forgive. All these wonderful signs of a healthy human situation in which we've learned the biggest lesson of all, which is to take each other seriously. Now, the most potent setting in which to learn that is observing our own parents. And so as parents, we just need to remember that when we withhold kindness, when we don't listen, when we're reluctant to apologise or forgive, we're teaching our children to be like that. So that's, that's the implicit uh, form of influence that's going on all the time. But I think beyond that, Siobhan, we do need to be explicit. We do need to get into the habit of introducing kindness as a concept, explaining it, explaining why it's important, explaining the idea that we are all one, that you don't have to like people to be kind to them because we're sharing the planet. We're all humans. We all belong to one big family, and it's it's got lots of differences within it, but it is one big family. And so we begin, again, at the earliest possible age, explaining why kindness is the sort of magic pathway to human happiness and social harmony and so on, by by saying, when, when the kids come home from school, not saying, what did you learn today or how was school? But every now and then, perhaps even every day, uh, saying, 
how kind were you today? What, what was the kindest thing you saw at school today? So we just start developing the habit of reflecting on kindness. When we hear our kids arguing, we can say there's absolutely nothing wrong with arguing. We're going to disagree about lots of things as we go through our lives, but we need to do it kindly. We need to find a way of expressing what we think so it's not hurtful to another person, but respectful to another person. Um, so kindness can be woven into the fabric of everyday life, both implicitly, by example, and explicitly by referring to it. I think kids are never too young to enter into a sort of evening reflection on kindness, uh, neither adult, or adults, by the way. I mean, one thing we know about the deathbed uh, or the period when we know we're approaching the end of our life is that we're never going to say, was I busy enough? Did I make enough money? Did I run hard enough, etc.? We are going to say, was I kind enough? Was I a loving partner and parent? Was I a, a supportive neighbour? Was I a loyal friend, etc.? Why wait till the deathbed? Why not make that the focus of daily reflection at the end of bedtime with the kids to say, let's just think about today. How kind were we? Were we kind enough to each other? Um, did I do anything unkind? Did you do anything unkind? Let's, you know, it's not all judgmental. It's just reflective to say maybe we, if that came up again, we could handle that better. Hugh, I love talking to you about kindness. I do, as I said before, think it's such an important skill and behaviour to have and to show. So thank you so much for speaking with us today. A great pleasure. Thanks very much, Siobhan. That's Hugh McKay. He's a social psychologist and the author of The Kindness Revolution. And I'll put links to the book in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.